My name is Ryan Miner. I am your host of a Minor Detail Radio podcast, where the minor details of every story matter. Each week, I talk to Maryland newsmakers, from elected officials, journalists, political candidates, to policy wonks and everyday Marylanders. A Minor Detail podcast is the fusion between Maryland news and politics. Real people, real stories, honest conversation. You can also follow us on the web at aminordetail.com. Sit back, relax, and have fun. everybody. Welcome to a Minor Detail Radio podcast. I'm Ryan Miner. I'm your host. I have my great friend and colleague here, Lynn Foxwell, and we're talking Mako tonight. That's the big talk of the town. Everybody in Maryland has been either has attended Mako, that is Maryland politicos and local leaders, or they've heard about it, or they've heard about another guy not attending the Mako conference. So Lynn and I are going to break it down. He was there. I wasn't. I was in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. But my good buddy, uh, the consummate Maryland professional politico, uh, has decades of experience on me. Lynn Foxwell, welcome back. Ryan, as always, my friend, it's a pleasure to be here. And this was actually my 23rd Mako conference, which uh, if if nothing else, it speaks to the fact that I'm going to be an old man. But <laughs> You're it, it, I, I prefer to think that it's a testament to to my consistency, and I can safely tell my mom that I've been able to hold a job for a little while, which was a great concern of hers when I was first coming out of college. Oh, welcome. Welcome to the show. You were there this year. The annual Mako Conference is held in Ocean City, Maryland, our little slice of heaven. Right. And it's a big to-do. It's a four-day retreat for local leaders. And they always hold it usually, what, the sec- I believe it's the second weekend of, uh, well, it goes through the weekend, but it's usually the second week in August, around the 15th or so. Is that right, Lynn? Yeah, it's always in the middle of August. And I always liken the Maryland, pol- the summertime political calendar to the to the uh, tennis calendar. You know how in the in the spring <laughs> you have the, the French Open, which ushers in the the summer because it's yeah. always held sometime around Memorial Day, and the 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 middle of the summer season is is uh, is punctuated by Wimbledon, and then we close out the summer with the U.S. Open. Well, here in Maryland, we similarly have three milestone events each year in the summer. Uh, in June, we have the Maryland Municipal League. That is where uh, more than 160 of Maryland cities and towns get together, mayors small town council members, uh, municipal government officials come together to, to socialize, trade gossip, talk about, you know, strategies for innovation, doing things better. You know, it's, it's a great time at the beach. It's, it's a relatively low key compared to Mako. In, in the middle of summer, in the searing heat, as you know, Ryan, we have the tallest crab feast held each year in Christfield, and that pays homage to the late Somerset County Governor Jay Miller Talls. And as you pointed out, in August we we round out summer with the Maryland Association of Counties, which obviously represents all 23 counties in Baltimore City. And each year it attracts somewhere in the you know, the website says 20 attendees and 
I think that's a conservative estimate because that just counts those who are formally registered. In addition to the registered attendees, it also attracts a pretty sizable crowd of uh, lobbyists, of government officials, the media, politicians. I mean, it's a pretty big event, and uh, it's definitely one of the highlights of the calendar, and the event each year is every fourth year is highlighted by a gubernatorial candidates forum in which uh, the Republican and Democratic nominees are allowed to address the the uh, the assembled on Saturday morning at the convention center in Ocean City and share their platform vision for the job, their values, and it gives it affords to make news however they see fit. Yeah, well. This year was especially important, as you alluded to. It's a gubernatorial election. Governor Hogan was there, and we'll get to that part of the show in just a bit, Lynn. But I want to I learn about how MAKO is truly supportive, the, the actual conference itself. But I want to talk – I want to splice this up into what does MAKO actually do, the Maryland Association of Counties – how does that help the state of Maryland, our elected officials, and our community leaders? What What is MAKO, and what does it actually do, Lynn? MAKO, I have found over the course of time, is a, is a very important uh, clearinghouse of information and support for our local governments. And, you know, I mean, just for example, and I, w- and I would include MML and the, the Maryland Municipal League in this conversation as well, because those two organizations collectively represent all of our county and city governments, and they provide they provide um, information, institutional knowledge. They're they're a clearinghouse of best practices for how to govern effectively, how to deliver the the best services to their constituents and taxpayers at the best possible price. And to be sure, the, the, their respective conferences have a number of those seminars and breakout sessions and panel discussions to discuss innovation in government. Now, anyone who's been to MAKO will tell you that, you know, that this sounds like a very sanitized, if not a naive discussion of what happens at MAKO. It's not just, it's not just legal pads and number two pencils taking copious notes on the ins and outs of zoning and planning. There are a lot of parties. It's, a, it's, a, it's Ocean City in August. There should be a lot of parties. There are also a lot of political fundraisers, and the thousands of people who congregate in Ocean City for these respective conferences, MAKO being a bigger event than MML, they're there not just to discuss the ins and outs of the sweet science of governing. They're, they're there is to socialize, enjoy the pleasure of one another's company because state and local government, we are, as you said, Ryan, we are a fraternity. We are... Um, it's it's a it's a it's a business of friends, and we you know, we haven't seen each other for an entire summer. We get together and we we catch up. And uh, adding to that is the fact that several several state politicians choose Mako as a venue for their um, for their fundraisers around town, like Senator Jim Mathias and you know, Delegate Eric Bromwell had one. My boss Peter Francho had one. Uh, Governor Hogan uh, had a fundraiser last week. Uh, so between so between the official events and the extracurricular events, it's a pretty hopping time from when the conference begins in, on Wednesday until it adjourns 
formally on Saturday. And it's a great time. I, I've, like I said, I've been uh, this is my 24th. I plan to be back next year, Lord willing, and the creek don't rise. Um, mm, well, because I find it, I find it very valuable. Of course, and any time that you have a a four day seminar, a break where they have breakout sessions where we talk about the nuts and bolts of local communities, of municipal government, how it works, budgeting, planning, zoning. All of those issues that some people then, they may find boring. I don't because I grew up in a community uh, where in, ha- in the city of Hagerstown where this was brought to my attention very early on in my life when my mom exposed me to the nuts and bolts of local government, hearkening back to our close mutual friend, Ron Bowers, that we saw down at the Miller J. Talls, who came and spoke to – yeah, came and spoke to my elementary school classroom at Lincolnshire Elementary. He was a county commissioner for 20 or so years. I think it was over 20 years. And that's how I got my interest in municipal government and how it works and what it actually does. I have been to, like you, Lynn, many town meetings from Smithsburg to Boonesboro to Clear Spring to Halfway to Hancock and including my own community lead, uh, community meetings here um, in Montgomery County. Mm-hmm. And I love local government because it's government closest to the people. And we're always looking for ways to, to make it more effective, to, to iron out the budgeting process, to ensure that we have the right type of public safety plan, to ensure that our water and sewer is functioning. I mean, we're talking – I talked to a Smithsburg town councilman yesterday evening – all about annexation, all about local, uh, basically somebody, they, they, community leaders started a petition to halt annexation, and then we talked about a wastewater treatment plan. These are the true nuts and bolts that people often overlook in, in government, and this conference highlights many good people, starting from all the way up in Allegheny County to uh, my good friend Bill Valentine, who is a county commissioner there. You probably know Bill. Len, um, dude. Oh, I sure do. Yeah, and you know, you, and then you know, go and, down and, to Caroline. Ryan, I, go ahead. Know, I mean, I, I mean, I mean, I'll say that it, you you made a very important point. It is it is government that governs closest to the people, and to that observation, I would add, it's also a, it's also a level of government that is less ideological and more driven by the desire to provide to deliver the most effective, cost-effective programs and the best services to their constituents uh, at the most affordable cost. And, you know, we say all the time, and we'd like to say all the time in state government that these aren't, that this isn't a Republican value or a Democratic value. It's a Maryland value. Well, those are the types of issues that our county and municipal leaders deal with on a regular basis. There's nothing Republican or Democratic about um, proper zoning protocols that lay the groundwork for uh, responsible growth or uh, a more innovative, uh, a more innovative approach to diligent code enforcement in an era of personnel limits. I mean, it is these are we're not we're not talking about the great issues of war and peace and Roe versus Wade. <laughs> They're programmatic nuts and bolts issues that people can see, feel, and touch every day of their lives. Um, and, and I, and I tell you, I, I have, at, at, not only as a, an official in comptroller Francho's office, but 
years as a as, as an official first in um, in uh, mass transit as a director of Washington Area Transit Programs, and then subsequently as a, uh, a member of the executive staff at Salisbury University, where we're dealing with statewide higher ed issues of affordability and access. I have found the feedback from these local officials to be absolutely invaluable because I do consider them to be honest brokers who don't have an axe to grind, but who just want to see things done better. And not to mention that some of the breakout sessions included what I am truly interested in, and that is cybersecurity. Lynn, they talked about cloud services for local government, getting the best bang for your buck, 5G technology, cleaning up the bay. They had box lunches and a buffet. Um, and they even talked about, let's see, water and wastewater, um, biotech solutions, mobile security risks, these wonky policy driven issues that is not that is unattached with any partisan labels. These are people who often have times spent their lives in county or municipal government starting at the city council level that says they who got together, ran for public office, many times nonpartisanly. I know in the city of Hagerstown where I grew up, there's no more partisan elections. It's it's you, you know you 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 run as a unaffiliated, and people learn how to become more effective community leaders. They they talk about agriculture. They talk about mobilizing communities, and you know these events are often dis- you know, some of these topics are often discussed in the the latest national night out uh, where people come together in communities and they make valuable contributions and talk about real solutions, including education, including about, like I said, cleaning up the bay. They have organization meetings and people network, and they learn about what works in their community, what doesn't work. And it's just a powerful, impactful four days. And so when you were there, Lynn, what was the theme? What was kind of what was happening and what was the vibe? And talk about that. Give us an, a good, solid report about what you learned and some of the people you ran into down there. I mean, I, I mean, who didn't I run into? I mean, <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, again, over over four days uh, in relatively built in a, in a small town uh, where most of the business gets conducted in just a couple of places, you'll end up seeing the same friends over and over again uh, over the course of the conference. And, you know, I had, you know, I had conversations, um, I'll just, I'll just share a couple of things from my own, um, to-do list that I brought home with me from Ocean City. Uh, I had great conversations about what, what other local governments are doing and what they've heard about is happening in other states about, uh, about how they are taking great pains to safeguard consumer data from financial criminals and financial predators. That's something that's obviously very near and dear to our hearts because we are, we are the custodians of 3.3 million tax returns every year, and we're responsible for processing you know, $16 billion in, in, uh, in, in tax returns and uh, distributing you know, 2.4 million refunds each year. And so we are a primary target. So we have an award. We we actually have an award-winning model in place, both to secure taxpayer data and to safeguard against um, identity theft and fraudulent returns. 
But the minute you stop trying to get better is the minute you start to fall backward, right? Uh, and so yeah. that th- th- that interaction with with other elected officials who are thinking about the same things, who are picking up information from from their circles of, of thought drivers, and you coalesce that information with what you've picked up from yours, that's how intellectual synthesis occurs, and that's how progress occurs. You know, I, I, I had a great conversation with some some leaders in the uh in the in the national uh in the national information technology industry based right here in Maryland about the possibility of developing an, an app for the comptroller's office. And we're yeah. we're you know, we have other things on our plate, but it's something that we've been wanting to initiate a conversation on for some time about uh about what we can do through the the application of an app to make it easier for taxpayers to understand in real time what's happening with their return from the minute they press the send button to the minute the transaction is complete. Um, it's a matter of both um, providing a more satisfying experience for the taxpayer as well as freeing more service lines from people who are calling to say, where's my refund check? Did you get my refund? Uh, am I okay? And we can reserve that bandwidth, if you will, for more, more complex taxpayer constituent issues. So, yeah, the, did I did I do the parties at night? Did I attend a fundraiser or two, of course. But don't let anybody tell you for a second, Ryan, that, that no work is getting done there because um, this this is where people who are entrusted with the future of our state and who are entrusted with thinking serious thoughts about how we can do better with less, we're all there. And I, that that exchange of ideas is how how we do move the ball forward. It's great weather. We're celebrating this event. Uh, we're celebrating local government, people who make valuable contributions behind the scenes. And we're talking about elected officials and, and their staff members that you never see out in front. These are people who make the nuts and bolts of government move, that are the people responsible for issuing the snowplows in the middle of winter up in Garrett County. The people who are responsible for the for taking care of when flooding occurs, people who are responsible for all the important facets that we sometimes take for granted in county government, in municipal government, people who give a damn, Lynn, about how wastewater is distributed, about how biotech functions. And when people dismiss the conference as – an opportunity to go down and drink with lobbyists. I have to tell you, when I when I read that tweet by Mr. Jealous, who is the Democratic gubernatorial nominee in Maryland for whatever reason, and I can't get inside of his head, and I'm not going to try to because that's not my job, that's not your job, but he wasn't there and his absence was notable, and we can get into that and we can talk about how important it is for someone who wants to be the leader of an entire state as important as Maryland, who is absent from the conference and then dismisses it as an opportunity to drink with lobbyists. Lynn, I, I felt to me that statement was so uh, missing the point, offensive, and brushing off a conference as, poor, as important as figuring out the nuts and bolts of local government. And when Ben Jealous has this stigma attached to him, and his campaign, Lynn, that he doesn't really understand Maryland. He's an outsider. This would be an opportunity for him to network with people from the 23 
people like John Barr, Lynn, who is a good friend of mine, who I grew up with, former past president of MAKO, people like Jerry Walker um, from Anne Arundel County, a good friend of mine, who's going to call into the show. I don't quite understand why a gubernatorial candidate would simply dismiss this four-day conference that is solutions-based, that is, like you said, all about synergy as a, an opportunity to go down and drink with lobbyists. That's nuts. Well, I, I, well, I mean, like, like you said, I, you, you can't you, you can't presume to understand how the decision was made or the environment in which. Uh, the, the choice was made not to attend, and you know what's done is done. And I like Ben. I, I, I I've gotten on him a little bit, so you know I I'm not going to judge him too harshly. I will say this. I to his I will speak directly to his quote. Um, first, understand that you know that that the, that the choice of being with the voters or being at Mako, it is a false choice. I mean. You know, I said that these are – it's conservatively estimated that this conference attracts about 2,500 people you know, each summer. The, the number far exceeds that when you get into family members, government officials, others who don't register but are involved in some degree in the proceedings. You know for a fact that they are highly engaged, highly informed participants in our civic process. You have to assume that these people vote, and you know for a fact they vote. They are – by definition, voters. So that's first. And second, I, I would I would I would just point out that not only are they voters, they are they are voters with constituencies. The Maryland Municipal the the, the Maryland Association of Counties membership collectively represents every man, woman, and child who pays taxes in the state of Maryland. Yeah. All twenty four all twenty four all twenty three counties in Baltimore City are dues paying members of MACO. All 24 jurisdictions send delegations of appointed and elected officials down to the beach to participate. Um, second thing I would point out is that Saturday forum in particular provides the, the, the gubernatorial candidates with a gold-plated opportunity to make news. You have the, 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 you know, the reporters from the major metropolitan newspapers as well as a couple of TV stations, bloggers like yourself, some of the smaller community newspapers in the region, they're all there. They are obligated as a practical matter and as one of fairness to come home with a story about what the candidates talk uh, in their speech. So whether Mr. Jealous would want that opportunity to roll out a new policy initiative or to open up a fresh line of attack at what he perceives to be his differences with Governor Hogan, uh, he would come back with a story. And it's a unlike some of the other news that's come out about his campaign in the recent weeks, it's a story that he can set. It's proactive newsmaking. He's setting the terms. He's defining the uh, he's defining the message. It's a gold-plated opportunity. You missed it. And the and the last thing um, the last thing I would say is it's a long drive to Ocean City. <laughs> Break it up. Uh, you can look at Peter Francho's Google page to see how to do MAKO. Let me just take, take, take the example of Saturday. Had Mr. Jealous even come down uh, you know, to, to give his speech on Saturday and to go back, that alone would have afforded him the opportunity to stop at the Caroline Summerfest, which is a major uh, summer festival in Denton that attracts thousands of people. 
he could have attracted the the multicultural festival in the city of Cambridge, which was highly successful oh, over yeah. the weekend. And he could have stopped at the Wicomico County Fair, which is one of the biggest it's agricultural huge. events on the calendar. Huge. Yeah. It's, so, I mean, so it, it's not a question of doing retail politics or MAKO. The, the, the Savvy Experience campaign takes this golden opportunity to do both. And guess where Governor Hogan was those three days, those two days? He was walking on the boardwalk. He was talking mm-hmm. to people. He was getting quoted, I, I want to even say pretty good press, and the article that Aaron Cox of the Washington Post wrote, she's a reporter whom Ben Jealous uh, you know, dropped the F-bomb a few weeks ago um, when he was asked by her if, she's, if he's a socialist. Um, that wasn't good press for Mr. Jealous, and for a campaign that looks like uh, that hasn't attracted a whole lot of Maryland talent, or has an, a decidedly outsider feeling to it, meaning that Mr. Jealous looks like he's running a national campaign on issues that, yes, are important, but still um, he hasn't mastered what I believe is the, the, the winning strategy to, to Maryland, and that is getting to know your county elected officials, getting to know the people who operate and run county government each and every day, people who are in the weeds of making the, the system go round and who rely on the state for education funding, who rely on the state for tax, for income, for education. And I just thought it was a missed opportunity for Mr. Jealous. And then to subsequently dismiss it as a, an opportunity to drink with lobbyists, I thought that was an unfair attack against the good people who do really work hard to put this conference on every single year. You've been there, what, you said earlier in the show, 23, 24 times, Lynn? That's my 24th that, year. I mean, that says something about the sustainability of these efforts and to ensure that people are, are clued in. So they leave with more knowledge than what they came with. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to invite in um, a good friend, um, Mako's past president, Jerry Walker. Hey, Jerry, how are you? I'm doing well. Thank Jerry, you. you are a rock star down there in Anne Arundel County. And you you know a thing or two about county government, and I'm on the line here with my good friend, as, and you know him well, Len Foxwell, and he was at the the Mako conference. And Jerry, being the past president, you're you're just the past president. They elected a new president this time around. Talk about that experience. What does that mean? And and frame this in the context of what it means for a statewide organization. Well, thanks. Uh, technically, I'm still actually the president. Um, through, okay. Uh, we MML does their uh, a little differently. They they do their switchover of the presidencies in the summer at their summer conference. We do ours at our winter conference. So in December um, is when I'll actually be um, <clears throat> will actually be off as the president of Mako, and somebody will be moving into the new slot. So we'll see who that who that is in December, but. It's been a, a good, a good experience. I've enjoyed it tremendously. Uh, met a lot of people. It's a, it's a great opportunity to uh, get to know folks all across the state from all the different counties, and um, I've, I've enjoyed it tremendously. Yeah. So let's talk about what the conference entailed. Um, what were some of the your favorite breakout sessions? What did you learn? What did you come away with this time, uh, Gary? I didn't get to attend as many of those as I would have liked, um, mostly because as president, you're sort of running around doing a bunch of different things. Um, right. We have uh, while we're there, we have a, a board meeting 
with our board members. Uh, the board is made up of different uh, council members from different jurisdictions. We try to keep a, a balance of uh, rural counties and large counties and um, ethnicity balance and, and male and female balance. And so we've got 16 members basically of the uh, county elected officials across the state that make up that board. So it's an opportunity for us to do a, a board meeting. We also have uh, one of the big things that MAKO focuses on is our legislative advocacy for county governments in Annapolis during session. And so what we do when we're not, when session's not happening, is we're actually formulating what we're going to, what are going to be our, our major initiatives uh, in the upcoming legislative session. What things are we going to be pushing um, back against or what things we're going to be supporting as county governments. And so uh, the, the Legislative Committee, uh, Initiatives Committee meets while we're at the Summer MAKO Conference as well and works through a number of the topics that we sort of have in front of us. Those topics are things that are generated by local government elected officials. Uh, as a, I sort of make, each year the president makes a tour across the state and meets with each uh, county, council, uh, county council and county commissioners gathers feedback from them about what topics are important to them. We kind of throw all those uh, topics into a pile on the table and start hashing through those and, and seeing which one of those is something that sort of rises to the top as a priority and something that we can tackle that, you know, that county governments across the state support. And so, uh, you know, just to give you an example, one of the sessions um, and, and an item we've been focused on at MAKO has been this, this issue of 5G technology and in particular, uh, small cells, and so you know the zoning issue. Uh, these these pieces of technology are, are you know integral to the next generation of of uh, cellular technology. And of course, everybody wants to have the latest and greatest technology, but you know you always run into the situation of where where do you put it? You know nobody likes the giant towers, and so now right. we're talking about you know boxes on telephone poles and light poles at key intersections and, and how do we roll out a program like that? You know, the cell cell companies want to have uh, carte blanche access to all of our polls and for us to have little to no input, you know, in that process. And we obviously feel like a county government should have an input in that process and that citizens should have an input in particular because they're the ones that are going to be living near those things or driving near them or affected by them. So that's just so an example of a topic that, that's important to us that we've been tracking. Well, I appreciate that. Jerry, what are the top three initiatives that municipal and county governments face? What what are those those major I, I would just say sum it up, top three. Yeah. When you come down I mean I think really you hear about if I they vary each year. Uh it just depends on whatever the issue is. And again, in in this in this case the the last year or so we've been focused on this five G issue and the small cell issue. It's it's an important one. Uh, and that you know, like I said, the cell tower companies they want to um, basically have a statewide bill that sets up the regulations about how these things are rolled out, and we we want to have local control. And so we're we're pushing back against the bill that they had introduced in this last session, that basically would have allowed them to put um, a box the size of a refrigerator on a telephone pole right outside of your house, and we would have had nothing to say about it, you know. So e each year it kind of differs, but I will tell you the one theme that has been fairly consistent since I've been involved in MAKO the last seven and a half years has been the, this issue of highway user revenue. It's something that's um, impacted both the county and the city governments uh, all across the state. And uh, just to give you a nutshell 
uh, sort of topic here. This is basically goes back to the 2007-2008 time frame, and each of the county or in jurisdictions that were in the state had a grant. It was, it was a handshake sort of deal. It was a formula that was constructed by the legislature 30 or 40 years ago that basically said highway user revenue, which is predominantly made up of the gas tax that is, is um, pumped in each, in each jurisdiction or district, uh, a 30% of that and vehicle registration fees go into that pot as well. 30% mm. of that money goes back to the local jurisdictions for use on their roads, and, and, and we mostly use it for road resurfacing, um, bridge repair, and things like that. So in the case of Anne Arundel County in particular, you know, each county's numbers varied, but we were here in Anne Arundel. Our citizens were collectively generating about $100 million a year in that, in that fund, and we were getting 30% of that. So our, our share was about $30 million. That dropped to under a million dollars. Uh, it takes in Anne Arundel, it takes about $28 million just to maintain roads at their current levels. So, Is that every year? You know, we've got every year. Every year, so uh, just to maintain those, it takes 28. It dropped under a million dollars in one year, and so it got back up to three under you know the O'Malley administration. And then uh, when Governor Hogan came to our conference, actually four years as a candidate, uh, that was one of the topics he addressed when he was on stage, and he he committed to working with county government to try to help us get that money restored. And he has wow. fought for us in in on that issue uh, every one of the four years that he's been in office. Uh, we, we did just finally get a bill passed this last session that takes our three, $3 million that we were getting, which was, you know, only 10% of where we were at, right? Mind you, 10 years ago, 10%. We got us, got us from 3 million up to about five or 6 million. So we're still significantly short, probably 80% uh, shy of where we were. Ten years ago, this Ryan, Ryan, and so Ryan, can I, yeah, can I Lynn, let's jump second? in here because because I mean everything that you and and, uh, and Jerry, it's great to hear your voice again, my friend. I hope you're doing well this summer. Uh, I am, I am. Yeah, it, 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 everything you said, everything that all three of us have pointed out about the value of Mako and you know as well as the MML conference that occurs in June, it's absolutely spot on as a as a laboratory of of, um, of government success, as a laboratory of ideas and innovation, we're spot on. That said, Vangelis is not Vangelis is not necessarily in need of of advanced policy tutelage at this point. He's got you know he's in the he's in the heat of a gubernatorial campaign, and more than anything else, what he needs right now is a, is a network of statewide relationships. Um, one could argue he he needs a lot in his race. But to be sure, he needs verifiers who can who can go back to their lo- local communities and tell their constituents, "I met Ben Jealous. I've spent time talking to Ben Jealous. I think he's a I think he's a good person with some credible ideas. Yeah, I think he's I think he's worth considering. Um, those things are worth their weight in gold for all of Mar- for all the the millions of dollars that it takes and the media buys and the Baltimore and Washington TV markets to run a successful statewide race." We are still a relatively small, retail-dominated state political culture, and those personal relationships in a state like Maryland still matter. And, again, I'll go back to what I said on Sunday uh, on social media. I don't, think that, I don't think that he could have been anywhere else this weekend that would have afforded him the opportunity to cultivate and solidify relationships, earn positive media, uh, and achieve that blend of – 
of high volume and small retail politics uh, that make a what are afforded him. I want to I want to make a point that's I believe is salient. There's a Republican, there's a Democrat, and there's an Independent all on this show. I'm a uh, you know, Lynn. You're a Democrat. I'm an Independent, unaffiliated. Jerry's a Republican, and I, I want to dismiss all of the partisan lines and directly from the perspective of a gubernatorial candidate choosing to instead attend a partisan rally in Western Maryland. And if there was some value in that, I hope there was. And I hope that there was an opportunity for him to meet voters. I know Mr. Jealous is in Western Maryland now. He was in Washington County and Allegheny and Garrett today. And he is, and that's exactly where he should be. You know, where I grew up, he should be in downtown Hagerstown talking with with Dan Spedden about tourism and how to bring in new people and what the Maryland theater attracts and what the Barbara Ingram school for the arts does for the local community and for the arts and entertainment district in downtown Hagerstown. That's exactly where he should be. But to my point, having a major gubernatorial candidate missing in action for all intents and purposes and then dismissing it as a drinking fest. Jerry, what do you make of that? What do you make of that statement as a leader of this organization? Yeah, I mean, you know, obviously we were disappointed that he wasn't there. Um, I, I think it was a missed opportunity. I'm I'm not any sort of, you know, I don't have the uh, political experience maybe that, that you and Lynn, Lynn have, but uh, from, from my perspective, it was a missed opportunity for his campaign. And I, you know, you sort of question when you have a misstep like this, uh, who's advising him, you know, and, and are they, are they familiar with I sort of what happens around the state and the importance and significance of certain events to be at. And so, you know, from my perspective, uh, like I said, I, you know, I, I get this argument that, you know, oh, well, he's right where the people are, but you know, the, <laughs> there are still thousands and thousands of people in ocean city that are vacationing there, even as we speak. And, you know, even if you spent the large majority of your day walking up and down the boardwalk and shaking hands with those folks yeah. uh, and then spend an hour or two at the Mako conference, you know, with folks there from all across the state, elected officials and sort of key influencers, uh, I, I don't I don't know how you could argue that that'd be a bad place to be, in my opinion. Well, you, you could stand on well, Third Street. at the. Go, go ahead, Lynn. Yeah, and just getting getting back to the point I made earlier about how you can achieve both. You can be with the people on the street corners of small towns and communities while still attending MAKO. I just pulled up uh, my boss, Peter Frangio's uh, Google News Feed, and the top three stories on, on the board right now, Comptroller touts tax-free week. Comptroller spotlights local business growth. Frangio honors Cambridge restaurant owners. He did each of those events either on the way down to Mako or on the way back. Uh, and those are and so not only is he getting not not only would Mr. Jealous have the opportunity to get uh, get in the Washington Post and the Baltimore Sun with his Mako speech, but he would have the opportunity by virtue of dropping in and dropping in on communities like that on the way down on the way back. He would have easy positive press in the local newspapers, and on the local radio stations with local blog sites. So it's a combination of community-based journalism and statewide media. Um, it, you know, it, was, it, was, it was there on the platter, and it's, it's there for anybody. I, I, think back to I think back to 2014 when 
when my boss had endorsed Anthony Brown in his race against um, then uh, private citizen Larry Hogan, and we were promoting tax-free week going to Ocean City for Mako. And we called, uh, we called the lieutenant governor's office and said, hey, the comptroller is going to be in Queenstown, Easton, Salisbury, and Berlin doing tax-free hits. You're welcome to attend any one of them. The message we got was the lieutenant governor's busy. Hmm. He didn't say what he was doing, just heard he was busy. Tell me what politician would, you know, would pass up on the opportunity to be associated with the words tax-free shopping. <laughs> On the way down, on the way back. Um, you know, uh, sometimes you just got to take the opportunities when they're put on a plat- on a plate and delivered to your doorstep. Well, and I uh, want to make it. Go ahead, Jerry. I'm sorry. I was just going to say, you know, the other thing is, I think there was uh, some folks pushed back initially when I brought it up and said, oh, well, you know, maybe it was going to be like a debate style format. And, and that wasn't the case. Actually, what, what's happened, what Mako has done traditionally in an election year, what we did with uh, Lieutenant Governor Brown and at the time uh, Larry Hogan candidate was, you know, we gave them here's a list of topics that sort of are th- things that are interested, you know, that, that our local elected officials are interested in hearing from you about. Love to have you speak on the stage for a few minutes and give your thoughts and ideas on those. And they come down, and, and one comes out on the stage, gives their remarks. The other one comes out, they shake hands, and the other one goes backstage. And it wasn't like a head-to-head debate or anything like that. We were just interested in hearing their their thoughts. And in the off-election year, the governor sort of has the stage. So it was more of an opportunity for them to share with you know, this group of local elected folks uh, what their thoughts and ideas were about how they plan to have state government interact with and support and collaborate with you know, local government if they're successful, you know, in, be, in becoming the next governor of the state of Maryland. Yeah, and think about Ben Jealous could have used this opportunity to not only have an op- to, to meet with the press, he could have held his own press conference, which you know damn well that every press person down there would have made it if he held it right there in the center of the boardwalk with hundreds of people surrounding him, and he he unwinded a policy initiative there. That could have been the major story. That could have overshadowed even the governor or had paralleled something that the governor would have said. But instead of the story being Hogan greeted by sweaty man on boardwalk, people taking pictures with him and and showing their support, um, instead the story has become why is Ben Jealous absent? That's the story. That's what we're talking about on Monday night, and people are still concerned. And then not only that, when he puts out a tweet that dismisses the function as nothing more than an opportunity to drink with lobbyists, I think that that does himself a disservice. I don't know who's – I just don't understand who is advising him, telling him to you know, stir the proverbial pot and and hit the Maryland political establishment with a stick. These are good, hardworking people that care about their communities who show up to this and pay money out of their own pockets oftentimes. And not only that, they're supporting the local economy. They're going in some of Maryland's best restaurants and and seafood restaurants down on uh, the boardwalk. And it's not an opportunity just to eat boardwalk French fries and, you know, take a dip in uh, the Atlantic. This is an opportunity to mix and mingle and to talk to people. I have heard people say, oh, remember when I met you at Mako? Um, of course, they're talking to other officials, and they'll say, remember that discussion that we had? And not only that, Jerry and Lynn, 
for someone like Ben Jealous, who is what was the recent poll that said he was thirty some points down in the crucial territory of Baltimore, there were Baltimore area Democrats holding receptions left and right. Johnny O'Shea, he was there. Johnny O was there. Um, you know, he's running for county executive. You can bet that Al Redmer was there. You can bet the you can bet that the uh, the, uh, the Baltimore City Mayor Catherine Pugh was there. Um, Jack Young was there. These are important people who, as Lynn mentioned, to have influence. They have they, they you know when when you think about how to vote, oftentimes you talk to your local officials that you see in the supermarket and you say, hey, you know, what do you think about this election? And then you you have a conversation while you're walking up and down the uh, you know the produce aisle at the local grocery store. And that's how that's how politics are done in this state, and that's the local approach. And any politician who is worth their snuff should understand that Maryland is very provincial. Yes, we are located in the backyard of Washington, D.C. Yes, that there is some national fervor in this election, angry at this president, or, um, you, you know, there's a lot of uh, flow down from the national side of politics in, in our backyard. But I got to tell you, these local events, MAKO, this is the bread and butter of local government. If you don't show up, then you don't have a seat at the table. Well, you know, I think, Ryan, it's, it's, you know, the, the, other, the other interesting thing is from a – no, I'm sorry. One, a, go ahead, Lynn, and then right. Jerry. A gaffe is often described as when a politician inadvertently tells the truth. And uh, the Senate president, Mike Miller, said something in today's Maryland Matters that ah, um, yes, he did. caused me to arch my eyebrow. And when the question about Mr. Jealous and his uh, his – his choice not to attend MAKO uh, was posed to him. He, he said, well, that's not where his votes are going to come from. He, he, Ben's going to get his votes from Montgomery, Prince George's, Baltimore City. Uh, uh, I think he mentioned Charles County and Howard County. You know, those, those, that's are, right. those, are, six, those are six jurisdictions. And, uh, and then you have the remaining 18 jurisdictions left scratching their head saying, well, what about us? we we pay taxes, send our kids to school, drive on state roads, play by the rules like everybody else. I missed the memo uh, that we no longer counted. And I think it's incumbent upon Ben and his campaign brain trust in the, in the, it, sooner rather than later to speak to this notion that this is going to be a quarter-centric campaign that automatically takes, you know, forfeits. The the, the the prevalent geography in the state, you know, the, the vast majority of the jurisdictions in the state of Maryland concedes those to Larry Hogan right off the top. I hope that's not the strategy. Uh, it would be a disaster for my party if he chose to prosecute that type of a campaign. But that is the concern that is starting to circulate around Democratic circles now, that this is going to be a campaign focused on a handful of traditional Democratic jurisdictions. The problem with that strategy is that there just aren't enough votes in those Democratic strongholds to offset a candidate being blown out in the rural and suburban jurisdictions around the state. We saw that with Anthony Brown. We saw it with Kathleen Townsend in 2002. Yeah, and, um, and, and, absent, and absent a change of narrative, um, we might be seeing it here. So that's Jerry, the challenge can... that lays in front of Mr. Jealous right now. No, I appreciate that, Len. Jerry, can you follow up on that? Oh, I was just going to say, uh, you know, the point I was considering, you know, mentioning was that, you know, not only do we have these 
you know, our, you know, our conferences are themed. And so we try to um, put certain breakout sessions and things around that theme, but, you know, just the, the idea that you're, you know, at an event where there's people from all across the state who are talking about, you know, local uh, policy issues that are impacting their constituents. And if you're running for statewide office, from my perspective, you know, it would be wise to try to understand what issues are, you know, are, are, are concerns in Somerset County or in Western Maryland. And if there's, in, in, and, and not only the ones that might be disparate, you know, in those different parts of the state and different issues, but also ones that, where you can see common threads and themes, you know, like the op opioid issue, which is something we're all struggling with the local level and the state's working on it too. But, you know, just to have conversations about that so that when you're in those jurisdictions and, and maybe he's not, as, you know, as Lynn just pointed out, maybe he's not planning on, you know, campaigning those other, you know, counties and writing those off. Um, but in my in my mind, if you're focused on the state as a whole, you also want to focus on the local level so that when you're in those jurisdictions, you're talking about issues that are of importance and concern to the people who live there. And, and who better to ask, you know, what those issues are than the local elected officials? So collaboration, yeah, my thought I mentioned collaboration, collaboration. And if, I'm, I'm thinking about you mentioned the opioid problem. It's a major problem, especially in Western Maryland, on the Eastern Shore, all over, really. And every time, yeah. and, and this is horrific, every time I look at my local newspaper, and I read my local newspaper, the Herald Mail, every day on the, on the I have a, the, the app, and I, I look, I read the stories front, back, cover to cover, and I'll always look at the obituaries, and I see young people passing away. When I see where they can donate money, it's to a specific organization. It's called Brooks House. And Brooks House is an organization that is being built currently. It's supported by a Governor Hogan and many elected officials, um, including um, uh, congressional candidate David Trone, Ami Hober. It's a, it's, a, it's a house that – it's a drug rehab center that is being built in Washington County. And a good friend of mine who is a new city councilwoman in the city of Hagerstown, her name is Emily Keller, and she has taken – a real lead on this opioid issue. She's my age. I'm 32. Um, she and I went to two, two different schools in the county, but we were good friends growing up, and she is one heck of a leader. This is an issue that is cross-pollinates itself well into every single county in Baltimore City that we can fight together. And when we collaborate on these issues, we can figure out what works, what isn't working, what, what can we do um, uh, as officials and people who are invested in the community. I mean, look, in Hagerstown last year, they held a, a like a 50 or 60 person uh, public safety conference on the opioid crisis. Imagine that happening in every community and every county. Uh, it, it's so important. It's vital. It's vital to local government. Jerry, let me ask you this question and then we'll go over to Lynn. Just wrapping up. What was the mood in Ocean City? And and you can talk politically. You can talk about policy wise. What was the overall mood? What are what are you hearing on the ground? What's the chatter? Um, I mean, you know, from from my perspective, uh, there was you know obviously a lot of discussion about uh, policy issues that we're all facing. But I think most everybody was sort of focused on the upcoming election and trying to you know game it out the way they saw it from their perspective in their you know respective county. 
Um, so there, you know, there was a lot of discussion about that and, you know, it was between, obviously between people on opposite sides of the aisle and do have, uh, a number of friends that are Democrats that were down there saying, look, you know, I'm not going to come out openly and, and say I'm supporting governor Hogan, but that's really what's going to happen. I'm voting for him, you know? And so that was kind of a couple of interesting conversations to have from folks that were, you know, in your non-traditional, uh, Republican leaning counties, I'd say, you know? Um, but the overall theme was good. I mean, I think, you know, there are, there were candidates down there as well. People that had, you know, successfully navigated their primary and were heading to the general and, uh, you know, wanted to, uh, you know, learn some things, uh, prior to, uh, the general election and things that they thought would help be, be helpful to them. And so it was interesting to sort of get their perspective as, as coming to Mako for the first time. And, uh, I think, Overall, the conference was a was a big success, at least in our in our mind. You know, we had a record number of registrants. I think the biggest since 2006, and we had sold out every uh, space on the convention floor to vendors, and in fact had a waiting list uh, for vendors. And so it's a good problem to have as you're running a you know non nonprofit organization like this to have such a successful conference. So we we're very excited about the turnout and and sort of the uh, the buzz around coming down there and, and learning about the different topics that we had on the agenda. What what is the what, what do you what does it take to to put on this conference as far as cost wise? How much does it cost to to put on a successful conference? It, it it's an expensive undertaking. There's no question. Uh, but one of the one of the best things about Mako really is that our our dues we have dues that are paid by each of the counties, and it's a it's a county run organization. So in order to be actually on the board in you know, a significant leadership role you have to be a, a local elected you know county elected official and so uh you know we've kept the dues uh for our members at the same level for the past i think 10 years and it's and it's a membership based on you know the number of constituents you have in your in your local jurisdiction so the smaller counties pay a little less and the bigger counties obviously pay more but one of the ways we've been able to keep those those dues flat has been through the success of our conference and the conferences. And so the registration fees, the, uh, like I said, the vendors and the booths that we have there, you know, each jurisdiction has a booth as well. They have the opportunity for economic development uh, teams to have booths there. We have a taste of Maryland where each County brings in a little uh, sampling of either food or, or some kind of uh, product that's sold there in their counties for other counties to take a look and see what they're doing. And, um, you know, it's, it's an exciting time. It's a, it's a, it's a neat opportunity to go see what other local jurisdictions like yourself are doing. And, and really, you know, as I've said to people over and over, as I go across the state, the only real difference between most of our jurisdictions is really just size. It's a matter of the number of zeros, whether it be, you know, in the constituents, number of constituents we have, or the number of dollars in our budget, but we're all really facing the same types of issues. And so uh, that's why I think Mako is such an important part of, you know, who, uh, I guess, government and politics in general in the state, just because of the services we provide to those, to our county members and, uh, and the education and advocacy that we really do, you know, in Annapolis during the session. So Lynn, Lynn what is your take on uh, the, the mood of the conference this year? And what themes did you notice that were underlying throughout your conversations and discussions? I would characterize it as a blend of 
political intrigue, as Jerry pointed out, lots of in, lots of interest, obviously, in what's going to happen not only in the gubernatorial race, but in the outcome of several of these highly contested legislative races, particularly on the Senate side, that will, to a large extent, determine the uh, the scope and breadth of um, the Senate president's uh, power uh, in the upcoming legislative sessions in the upcoming term. I would characterize that blended with uh, a healthy dose of fiscal and economic uncertainty. You know, well, one thing we found is that Peter is the chief fiscal officer for the state of Maryland. And what, what we find is that when there is political uncertainty in Washington, obviously, as Jerry can attest, that uncertainty, political, fiscal, economic, it flows down to the state, to the counties, the cities, and the towns. And you have, you have political uncertainty, you have um, – you have uh, uncertain and debatable consequences from the from the Trump tax cuts. You know, what, you know, what, you know are they going to deliver the promise? Uh, are we going to are we going to see? Um, you know, what are we going to see from the overhaul in terms of revenue loss of revenue for the federal and state governments and local governments? Um, but what what does the future hold in terms of the economic consequences of things like? Um, substantial changes in trade policy and what have you. So um, lots of lots of uncertainty from local governments that are, have long been accustomed to having to make do and do better with less and who find themselves always at the bottom of the hill where things roll down from Washington and Annapolis to the county seats. But then again, it's the third week of August. More than anything <laughs> else, people are having a good time, as always, enjoying the pleasure of one another's company, you know, both in the in the convention hall and over a drink or two uh, at the bars and restaurants around town. That's a good thing. Yeah, and I I'm proud to see that my local delegation, our county delegation, Nancy Florine, who is an independent candidate for county executive here in Montgomery County, attended the event, and I saw her having a crab or two alongside my good friend. Sydney Katz, who is a District 3 councilman here in Montgomery County, longtime mayor of the city of Gaithersburg, and is heading for re-election in District 3. That's what it's all about. It's about getting together as a community, talking about solutions, and talking about what we all can do to make Maryland a better place to live and to attract new business and lend to make your boss happy, the tax collector, making sure that we drive new economic growth here and people set up shop, retire, live here. And part of my job, my day-to-day job, is to ensuring that our senior citizens are well taken care of in our great state and, of Maryland. And, 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 and Ryan, I will, I will end my piece on a blatantly self-promotional tone. Uh, I wish I had a skee-ball token for everyone who came up to the comptroller on the boardwalk on Friday morning when he was strolling the boards with <laughs> Governor Hogan and said, we appreciate and we are grateful for the chance to start school after Labor Day. That, that after Labor Day, very consistent refrain. polled almost 80% of the, the st- statewide where people, as uh, they did a study, a Blue Ribbon Commission study, and the commission ultimately voted 12 to 3 to support moving school start dates to after Labor Day. And I got to say that that it's important that the feedback is coming in and like it or hate it, it was still in a popular initiative that was studied in the past administration. So 
Um, we'll end on that positive note. Uh, Jerry Walker, current president of uh, Mako. Thanks for joining us, Jerry, tonight, and we appreciate having you on. You're, you know, you're welcome anytime. And uh, Lynn Foxwell um, of the Controller's Office, um, guys. I really appreciate you coming on Monday night. Um, I know that we're all tired. We probably had busy days at work, but it means a lot to me that we can have this conversation and people can better understand how these statewide municipal organizations help this uh, each and individual, each and everybody's community. So, gentlemen, thanks for coming on tonight. Great to be here. Thanks for having us, Ryan. Thank you. All right, take care, guys. Take have care. a great evening and a great care, week. Okay, I had Lynn Foxwell and I had Jerry Walker, who is the current president of MAKO, talk about the 2018 MAKO conference. Thanks for listening, everybody. This was an opportunity to learn a little bit about what organizations make our communities better places to live. I will be here live every Sunday night at 9 o'clock p.m., and then we'll have special shows like tonight to talk about these important issues because, look, there's never enough time to do to do everything that I want to get to. And that's why I spread it out throughout the week. And as the election comes closer, I'm going to hopefully do more of these impromptu shows. And I said to Lynn this morning, Hey, you want to come on and talk about Mako? And I, and I asked Jerry, Hey, you want to come on and talk about that? So with that, I'm going to go ahead and wrap up. Thanks for listening, everybody. You can find me on the web at a minor where I cover Maryland news and politics and on blogtalkradio.com slash to minor detail. I'm on TuneIn radio. I'm on iTunes. I am on Spreaker and all the other podcast hosting sites. So thanks for listening, everybody. My name is Ryan Miner, and I am your host of a minor detail radio podcast. 